fathom series, a, a whole sermon series on the Ten Commandments, right? You've probably, if you've been in the church a while, you've, you've heard that, you've been a part of that. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot of work that has to be done to, to, put, this, to put it in the right context. But I, I'm loving that we're coming into the Ten Commandments now in the context of the whole book of Exodus. Um, you know, usually I would start a, a series on the Ten Commandments by going, who likes rules? Who likes following the laws? There's some laws you probably like to follow. There's some you don't. It's hard to drive 55. There's a song about it. There's things we don't like. There's things we don't like. We don't like restrictions. We don't like rules. We don't like people to tell us not to do things. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, you, you know, you have... That's usually how one of these sermons begins on the commandments. But now, if you've been with us, if you've, if you've been reading along, it's clear. It's clear that this isn't, this isn't bad news. I don't have to make a case, do I? The God of the universe, the God who loves Israel, who, who, who saved Israel, who, who, who went to great lengths to set them free, now says, this is how we do life together. This is what you're made for. It's good. It's a good word from God that we're about to read. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read the all, I've decided on the fly, I'm going to read, we're going to read all ten. But we're just going to focus on these first two um, this morning. So, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we, um, because you have spoken through the prophet Moses, and you've Cause this to be recorded and then cause this your word to be preserved throughout thousands of years. We can, with the people of Israel at the time of, of the Exodus, we can stand at the foot of the mountain and hear you speak. So Lord, um, give us ears to hear and help us to hear it rightly as the Words from the true God who loves us and has set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath. Or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days 
The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, this word of God, before I get into our points, I just want to give some further introduction. I'm, again, I'm, we're not going to take one commandment at a time, but I'm, I'm going to explain to you why we're going to divide these up, dividing it up this way, and taking the first and second commandment. Before I get to that, though, I want to just, just point out that this is, as we come to it as, as New, New Testament uh, Christians, um, this still has um, binding character, a binding character upon us as His people. Um, this is not a, something that we can leave behind. This is not something just for Old Testament Christians. But this has um, a binding character upon all God's people. Um, we, that, we can see that because, one, it's revealed directly from God without mediation. I don't know if you noticed that. You know, we, we, we remember, you might remember, okay, God wrote them on the commands. But right now, it's, it's, we're, we're reading the record of God speaking from Mount Sinai in, in an audible, thunderous voice, His word to His people. This is a, a word from God without mediation. Also, what's interesting is, as you read this, it's, when He says, you... When he keeps saying, you shall not, you shall not, it's, it's the singular. And so it, it's, a, it's an intimate word. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's highlighting this intimate form of the second person, this you. And he's, and he's drawing attention to the covenant oneness of Israel. You. Singular. One people. One nation. And, and then also, the number 10 in Hebrew often symbolizes completeness, wholeness. There's, there's, there's no a need for an addition. It's all that we need, all that, the nothing more, it, it needs to be added. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 5.22, it says, and he added nothing more. So this is a, a complete word to his people. And we see again that, as we will keep reading, that it's inscribed in stone to never be erased. It is complete, perpetual, eternally binding. Even Jesus himself in Matthew 5 says, I have not come to abolish them, the law, but to fulfill them. Verse 18, he says, for 518, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then Jesus is, summarizes the law. In Matthew 22, he says, and if you remember, the Pharisee comes and asks, um, you know, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And instead of just picking one of the ten words, the one of the ten laws, he summarizes all of them. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And that summarizes really what? The first four. And then he follows. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. And when he says that in verse 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he's referring to 6 through 10. And so, you know, when we think about God's word, we think about it in that division. We have a, a, a duty toward God in the first four commandments, a duty toward man. And, and, and what I want to do, and as I was studying, and I was thinking, and I was reading, you, we can further outline this, and it's really neat if you think about it. Uh, our duties toward God that, you know, Jesus himself talks about, you know, how we, not only what we do, but how we, how we think about God. And you, you can think about, you can look at these first four commandments as our thoughts about God, our words about God, and our deeds toward God. You know, obeying Him in thought, word, and deed. And these first two commandments talk about how we are to think about Him. And then if you look at the, the rest of the commandments, our duty toward man, it, it's, it's, it's the same but opposite. It's six through eight are our deeds toward one another. Uh, commandment nine is our words toward one another. And then finally, uh, ten is our thoughts about one another and what we have. So this thought, word, and deed, deed, word, thought, it's really it's cool symmetry there, right? And so when we think about this, this, these commandments, they're, they're binding, they're eternal, and Jesus came not to do away with them. When we talk about new covenant, we're not talking about something completely other than, you know, plan B. We're talking about the fulfillment of the commandments, of, God, of God's commands through our Savior Jesus Christ. And, and then making a way for us through the Spirit to begin to, to obey them. Um, and so we're looking at these first two uh, because they, they, they get at how we are to think about God. Uh, so here are my points. Here are the points I want us to think about this morning. First, um, we see here that, that Yahweh gives us a law of liberty. Second, Yahweh is on the throne alone. And then thirdly, Yahweh is defined by His Word alone. Those are the, the three hinges I want you just to think about. Yahweh gives us a law of liberty. We need to see it that way first and foremost. The whole law. But then also, Yahweh is on the throne alone. And then Yahweh is defined by His Word alone. So first, uh, Yahweh gives us a law of liberty. And again, I, I, I'm repeating... I'm repeating what we've said throughout this whole study, but it's so important, I'm going to say it again, because God said it again. You know, last week one of the points was God approaches, God draws His people near in a context of grace. And here, the, the first two verses of the commandments, we usually forget, we usually don't talk about, right? We usually go, what are God's commandments? And you rattle them off, but you forget. It starts with this, what? And God spoke all these words saying, all that follows, this is, this is the, you know, the main point, this is the, you know, covers all that's coming. Verse 20, I mean, chapter 20 through 23, I am Yahweh your God. Who's your God? I am. And what kind of God am I? The one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Again, 
He's made a covenant with Abraham, a covenant he kept extending to to Isaac and Jacob, a promise he made, and it was renewed with with Joseph, and he knew that God was going to make them into a nation. He knew that he was going to be faithful to them. He knew that he was going to make them numerous. He knew that he was going to give them a land. And and then to make it so, we've just we've we've been studying all that God had done through the plagues, through the Red Sea, and through the provisions, and through the, the victories that God has wrought, God Himself. And now they stand at the foot of the mountain and go, and He speaks. He speaks not as the one who's giving terms to draw near, but He's given He speaks as one who has done everything to make make it so that they can come to Him. It's, it's, the, it's given in the context of liberty. A people for, for generations, for 400 years, who knew only suffering and only slavery, now they're free and God speaks a word of freedom to them. I have freedom. You, I've given you freedom. How do we live in that freedom? It's given in a context of Freedom, deliverance has already been wrought. And secondly, it's this law of liberty, it's, it's, it's not just given in the context or because they have been set free, but it's the way of liberty. Does that make sense? It's, it's not just, okay, I've set you free, here's some rules. But these, this word from God, these Ten Commandments of God, are the way to enjoy the freedom. The way to live life with Him. You know, sometimes we look at this and we don't, just at first glance, we, look, we don't like it because it's, it's negative, right? Don't do this. Don't do this. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. Do you like people telling you what you can't do? But, but and I, I've never thought about this, and maybe you haven't either, but really a command of negation gives you more freedom than a positive command, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about that? A negative command uh, is, is more liberating than a positive one. For a positive command restricts life to that one course of action, whereas a negative command leaves life open to every course of action except one. Think about the garden. What did God say? He says, eat of this tree, eat of this tree, eat of this tree, eat of this tree, do this, do this, do this. He says, don't eat here. Now, you couldn't do it. But again, just think about it. We look at the law just at first glance. You go, look at all these don'ts. But if it was all positive commands, that would be even more restrictive. I, I don't know if you thought of that. It's, there's, there's liberty here. There's freedom here. And in fact, in the New Testament, in James 1.25, it, it, it's called, he calls it the law of liberty. Verse 25 of James 1. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The law itself is not bad. The law itself is not sin. And and, and Paul talks about that in Romans at, at length. But these ten words, these ten commands were given as, in, in, a, in a sense, and I'm not the first one to say this, and you've probably heard this illustration before, it's this rails that are, the train is to go on. A train is only free to move and, and get to its destination if it what? Stays on the rails. We've had a lot of derailments lately, and we're not making light of that. But it's always tragic, isn't it? 
You never hear, there was derailment and everything's okay. The train just kept going and got there. No. It's a wreck. It's disaster. And this, these are actually, goes, this is, this is freedom. This is how you operate. This is how I've made you to do life. But not only is the law uh, given in the context of freedom, not only is it, is it a way to live life in, a free, in, in freedom and to, and, to, and to make progress and enjoy life, but it's, you know, sometimes we just battle, you know, what's the law? Why does God have the law? Well, you need to obey the law because, you know, there's a, there's a maker and He made you and so He gave you, he gave you uh, instructions. He gave you a manual operation. He gave you the SOP. Who knows what SOP The standard operating procedure. So if, if the maker, if the person who manufactured the, the machine or the object, and, and, and you decide, well, I'm going to use it in a different way, that makes no sense. You've got to follow the SOP. And that's very logical, right? But does that really change your heart? <laughs> follow the instructions. What is, that's so silly. If I just keep telling you it makes sense to follow the instructions, how many guys like to ask for directions? How many guys want to follow the instructions? Like, it's a whole, like, we all, it's a joke, right? We don't like following the instructions. But it's the right, it's the right instructions. Well, I, I still, I'm still going to try to do it my own way. But it's more than just the right way we should live because we're made that way. But it's, this is the revelation. These words are the revelation of God Himself. It's who He is. It's who He's made us to be. Right here, as we, as we hear this, you know, we, 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 we know that Jesus says, you know, I'm the way and the truth and the life. But Jesus, what? Is the embodiment of these words. He keeps them for us. So we don't, it's not just that here the work, I'm God because I'm in control, here's what you need to do. I made you and I gave you specific instructions to follow, but we need to see this and hear it as relational. I'm the lover of your soul. I am I care for you. We're in a relationship. And 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 this is who I am, and this is who I made you to be. It's so much deeper than just some, a list of instructions. So much more wonderful than, than just the, the standard operating procedure. It's, a, it's, it's who He is. He says in Leviticus 19, Be holy. Why? Because I am holy. I don't just want you to get life right. I want you to be like me and with me and to enjoy life to the fullest in communion with your Creator. It's I want, us, I want us to do life together. That's, that's the law. That's what we're reading here this morning. We live the truly human life, according to Motier, when we obey the Lord's law. So that's the overview. Yahweh gives us this law, but it's a law... It's good and it's a law of freedom. The context of freedom, the way of freedom, but also the way of our God, who He is. He's revealing Himself. And we see that specifically in, 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 these, in these first four um, commands. He, he's revealing 
not only how to how to live with him, but who he is, right? And that brings us to the second point. Yahweh is on the throne alone. And this is the, the, what we call the first commandment. Uh, what does it say? It's short. <laughs> you shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever just stopped and gone, why would he need to say that? Again, go back to the context. What's the context? The context is God, the Shekinah glory, engulfing a whole mountaintop. It's on fire. There's lightning. There's thunder. And in the thunder, He's speaking His Word. And it's almost, it's really, it's kind of funny. <laughs> you would just think that that event is happening and they're witnessing. He wouldn't have to say, hey, by the way, I'm the one and only God. But he has to. And why? Well, he knows He knows their hearts. He knows their sinners. He knows where they've lived. They've lived for 400 years in a culture of what? Polytheism. <laughs> where there's all these manifestations, all these, all these gods in Egypt. And they were going where? To a place, to the place of the Canaanites where they also had other gods. Baal and Moloch and all these other different versions of, of God, really, you know, and, and so he's saying, I, I, I need you to know that I'm it. And some people go, you know, when they read this, is, is this saying that, is he, is he actually saying that there are other lesser gods? And the answer is, maybe you've anticipated me, the answer is no. He says, when he says, you shall have no other gods before me, it's not like it's okay to have some lesser gods under him. No, he's saying that you shall have nothing over and against me. Nothing that competes with the priority of following and loving me as your one and only God. What this saying is saying in a, in a, in a culture of polytheism, in a culture of competing gods, he's saying monotheism is demanded. You must only worship and look to me alone. Total surrender and devotion to the one true God, which Yahweh says is me. That's what is demanded. Yahweh is claiming exclusive possession of Israel. I am your God. I alone look to no others before me. But it's, you know, when we read that, we go, it, it, makes, it makes such logical sense, doesn't it? Was there, was there some other God that set them free? Was there some other being or thing that Egyptian God or some, that, that, that appeared to Moses? Who's, who's done all the work of their deliverance? And in fact, the whole, if you remember, the whole, the whole plague, the whole ten plagues were doing what? The whole point of it, one of the main points was to show how every Egyptian god was impotent. 
And without any power, without any ability to stand before the true God. They weren't real. The sun God. He blotted out the sun. Pharaoh. He killed the firstborn, including Pharaoh's son, the next Pharaoh, dead. Nothing compared. Nothing nothing can hold up. And and you're sitting here going, "I, I know this to be true. What, what other God has said He'd love me enough to give His only Son? What other, what other God has revealed Himself to, 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 to defeat and stand toe-to-toe with the devil and, 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 to, and to stand and, and, and achieve victory over death? There's just one. Man, but we live in a world still... All these lies, all these promises, all these other sources of delight and freedom and joy and peace. He speaks this clear word of, no, it's just me, guys. I'm the only one. Not as a, don't you, but rest in me. I love you. Don't don't wander off. Don't go to someone else. No one else can do for you what I've done. No one will take care of you and love you as I have loved you. There is no other God. There is no other source of delight and love and acceptance. I know you're going to be tempted. You're going to, but listen to me. I'm it. Have you ever thought about that command with, with that urgency as, the, as, the, as, as the, the urgency of a of a devoted lover, as a devoted parent? I'm the only one who can love you like you need to be loved. And you, if you're in Christ, you know you've gone, you've tried out other sources of delight and joy and peace. And what have you found out? true. He's right. They do not satisfy. Who is on the throne? Who, what have you, other things, other people have you put on the throne? What else are you worshiping? What has, what has captured your attention and your affections more than God? If you are convicted, good, so am I. (laughs) But it's life. There's only life in the God of Israel, Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's the only one who's really on the throne and can really take care of us and give life meaning. It's only Him. Yahweh alone is on the throne. And, and even though He's shown it all these ways, need to be written in stone, declared from His mouth, <laughs> directly to us as people, I'm it. Please believe that. Believe it. This is it. This is true. This is real. This is life. And 
And lastly, he says, uh, we, our last point is, Yahweh is defined by His Word alone. You know, sometimes we read this and go, alright, well, he's, he's telling them how to do worship, how to, how to relate to Him. But it's more than that. It has to be more than that. He's not just talking about the mode of worship. You know, we're going to, you know, we get these commands, and then just a few chapters later, we're going to see them do what? Moses has gone up and down, up and down, he's come back pretty quick, and then he's going to go up there and stay how long? 40 days. And they're going to get nervous, and then what do they do? I don't want to preach that sermon yet, but they, they make an idol. And when Aaron makes it, he goes, Behold, Yahweh! So it's not, it's different. He's not saying, let's go, oh, you know, I've heard this guy named Baal up north. You know, remember, remember Ra from Egypt? Let's go back. No, it's still, but they make, an, they make a golden calf. So sometimes you read this and go, is he just saying, God's going, I prefer you don't worship me like that. Kind of like if you're dating someone and you bring them flowers, but they're allergic to flowers, you know? So is somebody allergic to flowers or, you know, you know, you know a romantic thing, chocolate-covered strawberries are romantic. If you're allergic to strawberries, it's not very nice, is it? It could kill you. Don't do it. Anyway, uh, but, you, you know, it's like, I, this is how I prefer you show me affection. Is that what it is? I don't like it when you do that. It's more than that. It's more than just how we approach, how we worship. And we know that from, from God's Word itself. Look, Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 18, he says, he says, Therefore watch yourselves carefully, since you, saw, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, Mount Sinai, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water under the earth. So it, when you read that, you realize, he said, since you saw no form on that day, don't make a carved image. What is that getting at? Well, again, let's keep reading. What does it say? It says, okay, don't make these carved images. And then in verse 5 it says, for I am a jealous God. Well, if it's just that I don't want you to worship me this way, right? And it's not that you're worshiping another God, but you're just worshiping in the way you want to. Why would he say I'm a jealous God? You ever thought about it? Because Aaron said, let's worship Yahweh this way. Why would he get jealous? And here's the thing. To try on you, for, for the people of Israel, for you as us, to try to approach God on our terms or define Him in any other way than He's defined Himself is to worship another God. Do you get that? To, to try to capture his image, a bull, a goat, a cat, you know, a bird, like he says, if, to, you know, or, you know, we were talking this morning about the Trinity, you know, God is like a triangle, God is like, you know, the Trinity is like an egg, it's like a shamrock, it's like, you know, whatever you want to do to try to, if, if you try to boil him down to some image or some thing or some concept, that what you're doing is, you are defining God. And it's not, and God's saying, if you do that, you're not worshiping me. 
And that's why he's jealous. It's not, hey, I prefer no golden calves. I prefer you not buy me flowers. It's when you try to determine how to approach me, when you try to define or capture who I am apart from my revelation of who I am, you're worshiping a completely different God. To make an idol is to define him on our own terms according to our own understanding. And therefore, he goes to great lengths because he loves us, because he wants us to draw near. He goes to great lengths to say, this is who I am. You and I, we all have the temptation to sculpt God according to our expectations and presuppositions and to make this God much like ourselves or much like something we can understand. That, that desire is strong within all of us because we're sinners. God dictates how we are to think about Him. He has revealed Himself. And we cannot know Him apart from this revelation. How do you think about God? How do you see Him? You know, when I read this command, you know, when I was in seminary, the, the big thing that happened was the making of um, the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, by, and, and, and there was all this concern about should you go watch the movie or not? Because is it breaking the second commandment? And that's, that's all, you know, I heard that. That's all we talked about was is, is someone depicting Jesus in His humanity breaking the second commandment. And I realized after I got to seminary that only seminarians were talking about it. And when we, when we make it just about that, you know, and, that, and then every time in our... In Presbytery, there's you know we or we have our Westminster Confession of Faith, and we you you were examined on that, and that that's always the one people take an exception on because you know it's okay to have the Jesus story of the Bible and have a little picture of a guy that's depicting Jesus because what God God became man, and we don't know what he looked like, right? He didn't look he wasn't Caucasian, we know that. Okay, anyway, but he, he you know it's okay, but he he's a that, that's, you know, sometimes that, that's all we talked about. When we talked about the Second Amendment, it's just like, should we draw pictures of Jesus? But you see, it's so much more than that. It, when, when you decide, like, you know, and how do we do this today? You know, like, no, one, no one here, I haven't seen any of you, and if you are, let me know, let's talk about it. If you're at home making images out of wood or stone, and you're worshiping them, please let me know. I want to know that. If you see somebody do that, talk to me. I'm not going to be, you know, harsh. But I'm going to at least talk to you about it. How do we do this today? I, it's not drawing pictures of Jesus. It's not the flannel graph. You know, you weren't sin if you looked at that when you were a kid. Anybody know flannel graph, you know? Flannel? Anybody raise your... Okay, never mind. Anyway, but that was for the older folks. Um, but the, the, the issue is, what... How have you decided you're going to approach God? How have you decided you're going to think about God? How have you decided that 
the terms in which God loves you and accepts you. And if you think about in those terms, man, you've got all kind of competing thoughts, don't you? Do not try to define me, God said. Let me do that. And we were just talking this morning in, our, in the study on the Trinity. Um, you know, if you've ever gone on a date, uh, and you've just, you know, first who remembers first dates, right? You have this idea of who this person is. But if you just stuck with your assumptions, you know, guys, by the way, don't just talk about yourself. Ask questions. <laughs> don't just assume you've got this other person figured out. Let them talk. Listen to them. Get to know them. Let them define who they are. And then you'll know, is this somebody I really love or just love the idea of them? <laughs> you ever dated for a while and go, I think I just like the idea of this person. They're not really who I thought they were. That's when you move on. Don't marry them. Okay? Anyway. Date someone else. But you, you've got to you've got to let them tell you. You can't know. You've got to, it, it takes time. God defines that. God reveals it. And what has He revealed Himself? He's revealed Himself, and He hasn't done so fully and completely at this point, but He's revealed Himself. He hasn't revealed Himself fully as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit at this point. He hasn't revealed Himself as, as the God who would take on flesh and, and, and live for His people and die for His people, but He has revealed Himself as who? As a God who cannot be defined, a God who cannot be um, restricted to some concept that, that they have. He's greater than any other worship thing in this culture at the time. He is singular. He is above all. He made all things so nothing created can capture the essence of who He is. And He is essentially a God who is faithful and loving and will take care of His people and has all glory and power. That's who He is. Don't try to... Re- don't, don't, don't limit me. Don't, don't, don't approach me in any other way than that. You know, we talk about this being, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. We talk about this being a law of liberty, a law of freedom. And you're going, well, we're off to a bad start. Because, <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you've been listening and, you, and you're aware of sin and the spirits that work in your heart, you're going, I, I redefine God all the time in my own terms. I, I, I worship other things besides Him. I look, I look to other things that, that to, to satisfy and give me peace and joy. I look to my work, I look to my kids, I look to I look to good things and I, I use them, I make them ultimate things. Where's the freedom? Where's the where's the joy? Where's the where's the life that you're talking about? I I've, I I don't do it. And again, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. And we're going to say this, we're going to end every sermon on the Ten Commandments this way. Jesus did fulfill this perfectly. God the Father was primary. His primary sole devotion was to God the Father. There was no one else He was serving, no one else He was living for. And He understood and and, and, and never put anyone else or tried to define God on, his, on any other terms other than who God is and how He's revealed Himself. You think about it. Why does Jesus, if Jesus is truly God, why does He quote the Scripture all the time? Because in His humanity, what's, what's happening? He is listening to, letting God 
tell him who he is. Think about that. He never goes, well, being God, let me tell you. No, he always quotes the Scripture. And again, full circle, I haven't come to do away with the law, but fulfill it, to show you, to reveal it. Christ has kept the law perfectly and completely. God, He is the full revelation of this law, the embodiment of this law. And through His life, through His righteousness, we have access. And now, being renewed, being in Christ, being set free, now we stand before this mountain. We stand and hear the Word and go, Yes! Thank you! Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you, God, for reaching out to me. Thank you, God, for for saving me. Thank you for setting me free from the law, from, from, from sin and from death and the devil and telling me how to live not just the best life now, not just the, a good life, but to live life with you. To be like you because that's what you made me to be. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. Help us to keep hearing these ten words, these ten commands, as we should. In awe of your glory, in awe of your grace. And we thank you that you you are worthy to be on the throne. That you are the only God and we, we can know you and... That um, you have set the terms of how to approach you, how to think about you. Lord, help us, our thoughts, to be conformed to your thoughts. Help, our, help us to die to our preconceived notions of who you are and what you have to be and what we think we need to do to approach you. Help us to listen and be more and more in awe as we gaze upon your beauty as we hear your word, as we see you, as you really are in your scriptures. Thank you for this good word, for this this law of liberty that can truly be liberating and freeing through, through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We now come to uh, the Lord's table. This is um, a meal that Christ has instituted, has given to us to um, point us to his love and his, his grace. Um, even in this meal, he's defining who he is. And some of you here are thinking just because of the way of the world and the other gods that have let you down, other things you've looked to for satisfaction that, and you feel empty and maybe you're going, I, can, can God really love me? Can God really forgive me? Can God, is God really gracious? Is God really good? Is God really, and you have all these thoughts and you have these preconceived notions and you, and you think sometimes, maybe some of you think God is like looking at you going, get your life together. And some of you are thinking that God doesn't really care. He's got bigger fish to fry and other things going on. He's not even looking at me. He doesn't care. No. Even in this, what does it reveal? God in the flesh says, come and die. I'm, I'm providing for you. This is my body. This is my blood, my sacrifice for you. This is Him revealing Himself. And there's no one else that does this. That can do this. That has done it. Be reminded who God is. Be reminded you are who you are in Christ. Put no other gods before Him. Don't cast Him. Don't make an image for yourself of who you think God is. He's said it. He's demonstrated it. Even in this meal. Let Him define Himself for you. And, be, and take joy in who He is and what He's done. For you and for me. Christians, come and partake. If, you, if you're not sure where you stand, if you're not a member of a church uh, that preaches the gospel in good standing, if you're not, if you're not having been engrafted into this, we ask you to, not, to not, not partake. But if you trust in Him as He has revealed Himself, come and eat and be encouraged, be renewed by this sacrament. Renewed and strengthened in your faith. Um, brothers and sisters, come and partake.
gracious to you. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. Let His grace be upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. On the night in which God was, the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he dined with his disciples at the Passover. Um, and then he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. As I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And after giving, giving thanks, he... So this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this meal and for setting aside these common elements for, for this holy use. We thank you that as we dine together, as we break bread and drink of the vine together, that we, we are assured of your love, of your, of your work on the cross on our behalf. Lord, we, we know that you have saved us, that you are working, conforming us to, our, to, your, to your image, and that you, uh, we're reminded that you will come again to make all things new and to fully conform us to who you are, that we may truly experience one day, we, we pray very soon. Um, what it is to live life to the fullest, life in full liberty, and conforming, conforming to your word. But we thank you until then that we, we look to you, your perfect righteousness on our behalf. And uh, by your blood, by your righteousness, we are saved. We give you thanks. We thank you that we can sing together, no fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future is sure, the price has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
to follow Jesus, for He has said that He will bring me home. And day by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. Receive the blessing of the Lord. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will surely do it. Amen.